But everybody was staying at a friend's house overnight, and I felt they were all safe. They were, they were. And that evening, as was our custom, we went to the movies. And do you remember what we saw? I sure do. We went to see Juno. That's right. I remember laughing so much in that movie theater, but that was the last normal night we'd have before everything changed. You know, that was the last night of the before. That's right. And the after was just about to come. That's right. Life changes in an instant. And you never know when that change is coming. Nope. But this is probably a good time to start the first reading. I think we're going to have two readings today, so we should get the first to the first one. You ready? I am. Go for it. This is January 1st, 2008, so New Year's Day. I was awakened by a phone call around 6.30 a.m. It was Scott. Mom, can you pick me up? I don't feel good. I dressed quickly and told Jean about the situation, then left immediately to go get Scott. He was waiting for me outside. When he got in the car, I noticed he looked pale. His neck was stiff, and he appeared to be in pain. Scott had been pledging a fraternity, so I thought he might have pulled a muscle. Thinking he would refuse, I offered to take him to the emergency room. He agreed without hesitation. Now I knew something was really wrong. As soon as we got to the emergency room, I explained that he was 19, living at school, and complaining of a stiff neck. Immediately, they isolated him, thinking it could be meningitis. I wasn't worried about this because he'd had the vaccination right before the semester began. Scott was insistent about the sharp pain in his neck, so the doctors decided to do an MRI. The results showed trauma to his neck. They asked if he'd been in an accident. The answer was no. They continued with more questions, asking if he felt lightheaded. Scott mentioned that he passed out a couple of weeks before. Well, this was news to me. The doctors then ordered a chest x-ray. When the results came back, they said his lungs were filled with nodules, which could be a type of pneumonia. At this point, Jean and Kim arrived at the hospital. We were all just hanging out with Scott, trying not to worry. The doctors want to admit Scott so they could run a few more tests. They were going to call a doctor from infectious disease. We'll have more answers tomorrow, they said. We got Scott settled in his room and left around 9 p.m., telling him we'd be back first thing in the morning. When I returned to the hospital at 9 a.m., a doctor was already with him. During the night, they performed a CAT scan and discovered a mass in one of his kidneys, so they were scheduling more tests. Getting nervous, I called Jean and he arrived immediately. We were all trying to stay positive. The doctor said it could be pneumonia, a lung disease, or a malignancy. They were ordering a bone marrow test and a PET scan. We stayed with Scott the entire day, then left again at 9 p.m. I kissed him goodbye and told him I'd be back in the morning. When we got home, we explained the situation to Kim. We refused to believe it was a malignancy. It was probably pneumonia would even take a lung disease, just not a malignancy. When I returned to the hospital the next morning, I saw Scott's face was red from crying. He was alone. Scott, what's wrong? I asked, entering the room. Scott turned to face me. They said, I have cancer, Mom, he cried. Where is your God now? Where is your God? I was taken back by this question. I had a split second to answer, and I knew this was an important moment. 
I had to choose my words carefully because the way I responded could crush Scott's faith and that I wouldn't do. So I walked over to him, hugged him tightly and said, he's right next to you, bud. He's right next to you. Then we both sobbed. Until pathology arrived with the diagnosis, we didn't know what type of cancer Scott had. All we knew was that it was very aggressive. His lungs, lymph nodes, kidney, blood, and skeletal system were all affected. One doctor said we should hope for advanced lymphoma because this cancer is treatable with a very high cure rate. We asked for Scott to be released. We just wanted him home. By now, our family, church, and friends knew what was happening. Some people called, others stopped by. We were appreciative of all their concern. Whatever this was, I knew we weren't alone. As Scott lay on the couch, he began to shiver. Noticing this, I put a blanket over him and asked him why he didn't ask me for one. He said he didn't want to bother me. Scott, taking care of you is an honor. Whatever you need, please tell me. That night, he said his back was sore and he wanted to sleep in bed with me. He was 19 years old and hadn't slept in my bed since he was a little boy, but we both needed comfort. So I moved over and he climbed in next to me. I began to rub his back. As I did, I prayed. Oh dear God, please, when I wake up, please let it be me who's sick, not my son, not Scott. Please let it be me. We soon fell asleep. When I awakened, at first I was disoriented. Then I looked next to me and I saw Scott. Then I remembered and tears filled my eyes. It's not me. You know, getting ready to <clears throat> tape this show, we've probably read that section five or six times now. Probably, yeah. maybe even more. And it still gets to you every time. Yeah, it does, because it's always there. It's just below the surface. And but it's, all it takes is just like a memory, a song, a smell, a reading to bring it all back. And it's been 15 years since those events took place. And uh, it's still right there. Absolutely. It's always going to be that way, though. Now, you read about showing up at the hospital, and Scott was in tears. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess the doctors had told him that he had some form of cancer. They did, and I'm still upset about that because I was in the hospital from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m., and I, they could have waited till I arrived to deliver that news. I know, and... But the, the fact was that Scott was 18 years old at the time. He was 19. He was 19. He was over 18 is what I meant to say. And that's the magic number. He was considered an adult. It was his news and they gave it to him. Yeah, but it's ridiculous because at 19 years old, yes, he's legally an adult, but he's still a kid in a lot of ways. I mean, my God, I used to, he didn't even tie his shoes sometimes. Well, he tied his shoes, but <laughs> not, no, really. not all the time. Not all the time. <laughs> not all the time. But, I but I agree the doctors could have waited. And, um, and so it began our new life, though. That's right. And although we knew we were dealing with cancer, we didn't yet know what type. No, we didn't. So the referral oncologist, their preliminary assessment, they ruled out the advanced lymphoma based on reading slides and, scales, and scans. Now, her guess was a Ewan sarcoma, which had a very low survival rate. But we were still waiting for a definitive report from pathology. Whoever thought that we would be hoping for a diagnosis of lymphoma, because we, we actually were, 
But sadly, it wasn't lymphoma, and the news that week just got worse and worse every turn. It did. And I remember Scott asking the oncologist if he was dying. Yeah, I remember that, too. She answered, very few people survived this disease. At that point, you just couldn't take it anymore. You walked out of the room because the gravity of the situation just seemed to hit you right between the eyes. It did. I felt shock and numb. I was dizzy, and I had to find a spot to compose myself. So I walked into the hallway, I found a corner, and I just cried. You know, it took us a couple of minutes to find you. I know. You know, but we finally did, then we left the doctor's office and headed home. And the, the, the ride home was very tense, and we were all processing what we had just experienced. Yeah, yeah. But then one of us broke the ice. And of course it was Scott who simply said, that was fun. You know, but that little remark just kind of gave us all permission to talk about what just happened. Yeah, and now we needed a plan. So when we got home, we called our good friend Beverly from our church. She is a prominent radiologist at Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx. But more importantly, She's someone whose opinion we trusted completely. Absolutely. And she told us that a team of doctors had come from Memorial Sloan Kettering Center to run the pediatric oncology unit at the Children's Hospital at Montefiore. And that really seemed like a good fit, especially since Beverly would be there every day and keep an eye on things. That's right. And she was such a comfort. The world of hospitals and cancer is so overwhelming. I don't know what we would have done without her advice and her gentle presence. We met with a team of doctors the next day, headed up by Dr. Richard Gorlick. They concurred that Scott indeed had some type of aggressive cancer, but we still didn't know exactly what, and we were waiting for that definitive pathology report. That's right. And throughout those two important oncology consults, we knew we needed someone to take notes so that we could retain as much information as possible. And that job fell to our daughter, Kim, because she is the most level-headed one in the family. She still is. Still is. <laughs> we were so emotionally fraught, though, as any parent would be under those circumstances, that we needed her steady hand. Thank God it was there. That's right. I mean, she was in shock, but she took care of business, and she took care of us. So... After the, all the consults and we had a diagnosis, it was time for action. That's right. And in a race against time, they admitted him immediately to insert a brobiac line in his chest. Why don't you explain just a little bit of what a brobiac line is? That's right, because we became very educated in this. Yeah, we it, sure did. It's a surgically placed line that was put into a vein in Scott's chest. And it's a catheter that stayed in place until his medical treatment was over. So, in other words, it's a main line directly to the bloodstream, and they wouldn't have to keep injecting him or poking at him. That's right. Every time he had chemo. That's right. And this line had three extensions for chemotherapy and other medications. And with the line inserted, as soon as pathology report came in, treatment could begin. And we had to learn how to clean and care for his lines. Let me just add something here about waiting for a diagnosis. It is one of the most difficult times when dealing with a serious illness. Yeah. My thoughts would range from, 
the most terrible outcome to the best, that everything would be okay. But the hours while waiting for that diagnosis just dragged and dragged and dragged. It is really difficult to keep a calm demeanor. It really is. And we all went through those thoughts. But we also had to focus on Scott's state of mind. Because not only did he have to withdraw from his first year of college on a medical leave, but he was facing a life-challenging illness. And all of his friends were in college. And now not only is he home with us, but he's dependent on us. And he's in shock, but he is pretty angry too. A couple of days after our initial consult with Dr. Gorlick, his team finally had a diagnosis. And this is what it was called, desmoplastic small round cell tumor. When I heard the name of this cancer, I was so confused. Like, what? What is this? Well, it turns out that DSRCT is a very, very rare pediatric cancer that at that time, it affected about 50 kids a year in the United States and a couple of hundred worldwide. It's so rare, there's not a lot of research that goes into it. No, they call it an orphan cancer because it's not tied to anything. What this particular disease affects both boys and girls it is most common in males 14 to 22. Mm -hmm. It is a DNA-based disease. One molecule from one strand of DNA hops to another strand. But once it starts, it's a wildfire that spreads quickly in every single direction. That's right. It's kind of like a time bomb just went off because there was no external factors that caused Scott's disease. And it was just a quirk in his DNA. But the prognosis was very poor. We were told two-year survival was optimistic, and the two years begin at diagnosis. The treatment would be brutal, and we prayed for a full recovery, of course, but the odds were against. It was just so surreal. How could this all be happening? I remember one morning waking up and staring at the ceiling. Everyone else was still asleep. And for a split second, I just wondered, how was I going to hold it all together again today? Then I would think about my son lying in the bed across the hall and wonder, what must he be thinking? That got my head straight and made him priority number one, which he always was. I know. I, it, was, it was so hard and painful in every way. And after the diagnosis, especially learning that it was a DNA-based I reflected a lot on Scott's childhood. And that goes to our second reading, which we're going to do right now. And uh, Chris, why don't you get to that? Absolutely. After hearing about his diagnosis, I began thinking about Scott's life. Subconsciously, Scott must have known that he would die young. From the time he was a toddler, he lived every day to the fullest. Scott was very impulsive and spontaneous, rarely giving thought to the consequences. He would say, present Scott cannot worry about what trouble future Scott gets into. Who thinks like this? I remember a time when Scott was about eight years old. After school was snack time and all the daycare children, plus Kim and Scott, would sit together at the kitchen table. As they were eating, I would start a conversation. On this day, I asked each child to think about what they wanted to be when they grew up and why. I then went around the table with each child. 
Their responses consisted of a fireman, a policeman, an actress, even a marine biologist. When it became Scott's turn, he looked at me very seriously and said, I can't picture myself growing up. I can't picture myself being an adult. I told Scott I thought he would make a wonderful teacher, evident by how he handles himself with the children in the daycare. And I often think of that conversation. Present Scott can't worry about what future Scott's going to have to do. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I mean, present parents always worried <laughs> about what future did, yeah. Scott would do, but not him. But he did always seem to have an unconscious premonition of his fate. He lived his life for the moment. He was impulsive. He never wanted to save anything for another day. And that actually was our biggest argument with him. Right. It was always, Scott, think about the consequences. Think about tomorrow. And he really couldn't. I know. I know. But he was happy. And he was doing his own thing. And I remember him saying to me, and pretty often he would say, I love life. And you know, although his life was short, he certainly lived it well. He did. And that little reading that we just did is the first step that we'll take into matters of the spirit. You mean his premonitions and, and his kind of forethought to what was gonna, his life was going to be like? That's right. Yeah. We'll be talking more about that. We will be talking much, much more mm -hmm. about that. So that's about where we're going to end the episode. Chris. Tell everybody one more time where they can get the book and what we're doing with the proceeds we, we are right. in it. Well, Live, Laugh, Fly is available on Amazon and 100% of proceeds will benefit children's cancer programs. And you know, part of the reason that we started this whole project is we want to connect with other people that are going through the same thing that we are. You're not alone. You're not alone. And that's why one of the best things about writing the book and doing the podcast and all of our presence on, um, on the Internet is to connect with you folks. That's why it is so worthwhile to hear back from you. Yeah. And one of the best ways to do that is to leave a comment here on the show mm -hmm. or... Send us an email at our email address, remember, love never dies at gmail.com. And we're going to put a, that in the show notes as well. That's right. And also, we have a Facebook page, and that's called We're an Open Book. So you can always leave comments there. Uh, we're an Open Book on Facebook, indeed. So I guess that's a wrap. It's a wrap. That's more show business talk, folks. <laughs> <laughs> So let's end the, what, the show the way we always do. That's right. Remember, love, love never, never dies. dies. Bye, Bye, everybody. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Thank you so much. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She